Turn your Bibles this evening to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 2. <clears throat> book of Ephesians, chapter number 2. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verses 6 through 9. Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. Let's back up and read. Well, I just hate to leave any verses out. Let's go back all the way to verse number one. How's that? Would you like to start at the beginning of the chapter? No, I mean the beginning of the whole book. Let's read verses one through nine. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, what a powerful statement that is, but God. God steps in, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, where he hath loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. The Bible, Scripture really boils down, boils all humanity down. When we read our Bibles, down to two races of people. There are many countries, many nationalities, many languages, but only two races of people that the Bible talks about, and that's Gentile and Jew. There are many others, and again, Different nationalities is mentioned in the Bible, but all of us are either you're a Jew scripturally, biblically, by blood, or you're a Gentile. I don't know if there are any Jews by blood in here. I know we have some folks that have gone to reach the Jew first and also to the Greek, and praise the Lord for that. But they're Jews and they're Gentiles, and most likely, all of us in this building, I, I do not know for sure, but I would dare say most of us, if not all, are Gentile here tonight. And you either have Jewish blood flowing in your veins by way of your genealogy, or you do not. And if you don't have that, you, again, you are a Gentile. Now, how many of us are of Jewish descent? I, I don't know that, but um, tonight I just want us to think, consider this thought that Paul is writing to a group of Gentiles. He's writing to a group of people that really shouldn't have been in having this, what we just read here. Shouldn't have been there. Shouldn't have been there. We, we didn't deserve it. We didn't, we didn't belong in this category. Dead in sins, yes. But we didn't belong in the category of the grace of God being bestowed upon the likes of me. The likes of all of us. If you are a Gentile in the Old Testament days and you were a Gentile, you were seen as, a, from the Jewish perspective, you were seen as a heathen. You ever been called a heathen? Probably most of us had, at least when we were little and maybe most of us sometimes when we're bigger. 
a bunch of heathens. You know, that's what they called us. Because we were outside the promises and covenants of the Lord. Outside of, they saw it as, a, as being outside of, of the, that promise that God had given. The Old Testament economy, you were, uh, you were either that, again, that Jew or that Gentile. And if you were not that Jew, you were seen outside of that. But I want to declare tonight, and we see all through the Bible, that the God that we serve in the Bible, and something that the, the Jew missed was the fact that the God that we serve, the God of the Bible, is a worldwide God. He wants to reach both Jew and Gentiles. And he set aside a group of people, the Jewish people, so that the gospel would go into all the world and it would be heard by Gentiles and Gentiles would be saved. That's God's plan. It's been God's plan from day one. He raised up a nation to be that that group of people that would propagate that message of a Messiah and of of a kingdom that would come and that we all could be a part of that. And God chose the nation of Israel out of a group, out of Gentiles, literally, out of that. And he chose them. Now, he did not choose them for salvation as such, but he chose them for separation. That they would be that, that nation by which all the world would come to know Jesus Christ. As a Jew, you were given the promised Messiah. You were told it would come this way. As a Jew, you were given the promised land. In the Old Testament economy, as a Jew, you were forbidden to marry a Gentile. Just didn't do it. You were forbidden. You were forbidden to enter into the house of a Gentile, to eat with a Gentile. If you did so, you were considered unclean. They saw us Gentiles, they saw the Gentiles of that day being unclean because they were outside of the covenants of the Lord and did not know God. They were, they were idol worshipers. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, we find the word strangers. The idea of a stranger. These strangers often spoken of as being part of the Jewish people or part of the nation of Israel. But these strangers were in fact Gentile converts to the God of the Bible. And they took on the the Jewish lifestyle. They adhered to the Jewish laws and the Old Testament truths of the Bible. In a sense, they became as Jews, but they were never really were Jews as far as the blood that flowed through their veins. They had no land. They had no position. They had no promise as such as the land. They were, in fact, strangers living among the Jews. The Gentiles were, by and large, Hated by the Jews. You remember the Samaritans. They were the half-breeds. Half Jew, half Gentile. The Jew would not even travel through that region of Samaria. Until Jesus showed up on the scene. And he says, I must needs go through Samaria. And there he met a woman at the well. And she went. She came to know Christ. And she went into that city and told everybody about Jesus. And the entire town came out. And Jesus was reaching Gentiles for his namesake. Wonderful truths. We're all included in that. Paul is here writing to a group of predominantly Gentile people. Ephesians was a city in Asia Minor where they had been uh, uh, really very few. I'm sure they were Jews there, but but there were very few, at least in this church. And yet Paul talks about how that God had broken down the barriers between the Jew and the Gentile and he brought them together under one 
economy, and therefore that of the church, and that of salvation. And Paul, on his third missionary journey, he planted and established a Gentile church and in a Gentile city, and he sent the, spent the better part of two years preaching the gospel to Gentile hearers. And Paul is reminding these Gentiles, and we are to be reminded tonight, really all believers, Jew and Gentile, being reminded of the pit from which God digged us, the pit from which we all came from. None of us deserve to have what we have in Jesus Christ. None of us deserve Jesus Christ to come to this earth and die upon Calvary's tree for us. None of us deserved it. And to be reminded, he's reminding them who they once were without Christ in order. And he's reminding them in order to stir them up so that they might understand who they are in Christ. Listen, it'll do us some good, I think, to get stirred up every now and then. When we come to church, we ought to come to church with the intention to have the Lord and allow the Lord to stir our hearts. I love to come to church and be stirred. I love to come to church and hear the singing and hear the song, the words of the songs and be stirred. I love to come to church and fellowship with believers. Hear the teaching and the preaching of God's word and to have our hearts stirred. And that's something that's important. Yes, we come to worship the Lord, but in doing so to have our hearts soft and tenderized that allow God to work in our lives. And Paul is writing to a young preacher boy in Second Timothy, and he says, Wherefore, I put, you, put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee. To get stirred up is to have the gift of God uh, in, that he's, been, he's put into our hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to work into our lives. When the sweet Holy Spirit stirs us up from the inside... We, I'm not talking about it being stirred up in an emotional perspective. Oftentimes emotions do come with that. And it do us good to allow the Lord to allow us to, to shed some tears every now and then. I think we can become so stale in our worship that, that it, to, to show any emotion whatsoever and to, to never share tears and, and to never, never come to an altar and get on our knees and pray. And I think we become so, uh, so liturgical in the way we do things and so high churchy in the way that we do things that we literally hinder the work of God sometimes. And we can allow God to stir our hearts. It's good to be stirred. It's good to be, allow God to break, to break our hearts to the point of tears. When God does a stirring work in our hearts, I believe that's the time when revival begins to break out. And again, I'm not talking about an emotional stirring. I'm not talking about a tongues kind of movement kind of stirring. A kind of stirring where they claim that you're slain in the spirit. I'm not talking about all those things. I'm not talking about chaos that's involved with what the world says there must be a stirring today. But I'm talking about allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. Be a, when we get stirred uh, with the things of God, I believe the Holy Spirit brings about a conviction of sin. When we get stirred with the things of God, God begins to put His finger on specific areas of our life. Things that are hidden. Things that, that God knows about, you know about. 
but we think it's okay. And God says, no, that's not okay. When we get stirred, God begins to move us to say to this degree, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to be right with God. I don't want anything between me and the Lord. I want my prayers to get through. There's a stirring. He stirs us of sin, of righteousness, and even of judgment to come. He stirs us to a love for God. He stirs us to a hatred for sin. He stirs us to a heart to win the lost. Isaiah was, Isaiah's book and prophet Isaiah, in the first five chapters, he's, He's woeing everybody for all they've done. And we come to chapter number 6. And he says, woe is me. Woe is me. He saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. To be stirred up is literally to see God in His holiness. And we see God in His holiness, we see who we are in our unholiness. God shines His light in my heart. God shines His light and in, 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 in it reminds me of my thinking. It reminds me of my thoughts. It reminds me of the things that I dwell upon. And I don't want to do that anymore. That stirring brings me to the point of conviction of sin. That stirring will bring about that correction to do right and wanting to do right. There'll be a desire to get out of that sin and to live in obedience to God. There'll be a consecration to serve. You can't be close to the Lord and not serve the Lord. Here am I, Lord, send me. When he saw the Lord, that stirring in his heart came and there was that desire to do something for God. When a person has God stirring their heart, there'll be a longing to get off the bench and to get into the game. He's looking for a place to stand in the gap and make up the hedge. There's a need. I'll meet that need. There's a need in the Sunday school classes. I'll meet that need. There's a need in the ushers. I'll meet that need. I can sing in the choir. I can do something for the Lord. Literally, it's a desire to want to do something for God. There'll be a compulsion to tell others about who Jesus is. You know, somebody's gotten it all and gotten the real thing when they want to tell everybody else about what they got. I've said this oftentimes when, then I'll share it again as it fits here. I remember at Camp Joy, we would see kids saved and and we'd come and those kids would, every Thursday night we'd have a, just a reflection night. And we'd have a chapel over in the open air chapel over there. And Brother Bragg knows full well about all that. Man, he was there many more years than I was. We'd have the open night chapel and the kids would come through. And we would, kids that would get saved, they would line up. And kids had gotten saved through the week. They'd line up and come forward and just, just publicly make that profession of faith. I got saved this week. And we'd oftentimes ask them about what we could pray about. These are little ones. These are 8, 9, 10, 11-year-olds. We'd ask them, well, what can we pray about? And these kids, more than often, more than not, they would simply say, I, I got saved this week. I want you to pray my mommy gets saved. 
My daddy gets saved. My uncle gets saved. The person that's caring for me gets saved. Pray that they'll come to know the same Lord that I came to know. And I just simply say, when you, when you really get right with God, there's a desire to tell somebody else about Him. A desire, a compulsion to tell somebody else uh, and give them the very same thing that you've got. You allow God to stir you up and God will make you a fisher of men. That's what this mission conference literally was all about this week. God making us fishers of men. Go fish. I, I got that one, Brother Jodry. No fish. Oh, fish. Fields are widened to harvest. That's what this was all about. That's what this is. You see this. And some people look at this and say, you folks are a little bit odd. Well, that's okay as long as it's in the Bible. Because if this is considered odd, then praise the Lord. Let's, let's, go, let's go further. Let's do more for the cause of Christ. You attended this past week and, and, and you sat through the mission conference. And if your heart wasn't stirred then check up. Look and see where you're at. God stirs our heart. And really it's a missions revival. Again, that stirring, God bringing us back to where the fire started. That he might kindle the flame once again. Paul was writing to these Gentile believers to stir them up. When God stirs up his people, revival takes place. And in revival, people are converted. Revival begins within a group just like this. But when revival breaks out and God's people get stirred and God's people go out to share the gospel and there's a reality in the life of an individual, of a born-again child of God, you can expect people to be saved. And maybe... Maybe, just maybe, that we look at Lakewood Baptist Church and, and our desire to see people saved, and maybe we ought to first begin with this thought, God, stir my heart. God, start here where I'm at and start in these shoes and deal in my heart and deal in my life so that when I, my heart is stirred and I've got that real burden to see people saved, then we can go out and reach the lost. But if we sit at ease in Zion, if we just sit back and just wait on somebody else and hold the fort, then we'll not grow, we'll not see things done as we would all desire for the things of the Lord and for the glory of God. But people are converted. The comfortable become afflicted and the afflicted get comforted. That's what happens when revival comes. We read verses 11 and 12 of our text. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision. The Jew seeing the Gentile, the uncircumcision, the Gentile, the Jew, the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. That in time past ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. What a terrible condition is that to be in. Having no hope without God in this world. He says, I want you to remember. Sometimes it's good just for us to remember from where we were. I'm not saying go back and remember. And I, I, I get a little bit weary about this. And some people share the old testimonies of way back then. I'm not sure. I'm not saying go back and remember and relish in that. 
But remember what God brought us from and thank God that we're not still there. That he brought us out of that. And he set our feet upon a solid rock and we got somebody to live for and something to live for in Jesus Christ. Remember, he says, in times past where you were. But Paul says, remember, but don't hang around long in that remembrance because he says, I want you now to rejoice because I'm still not, I'm not there anymore. Look at verses 13 and following. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down that middle wall of partition between us. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances For to make in himself of twain one new man. So making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God. In one body by the cross. Having slain the enmity thereby. And came and preached peace. To you which were afar off. And to them which are nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners. But fellow citizens with the saints in the household of God. That's the Christian. That's what God's done for you. It's what God's done for us. He says remember but don't hang around there long. He says now you need to rejoice. God steps in. God specializes in stepping into people's lives. God specializes in butting into people's lives. And I'm glad that he does that. He might butt in with a trouble and a trial to cause an individual to look up to the Lord. He might butt in with with maybe some health issues to call an individual to look to him. And God does all kinds of ways and all kinds of things. But I'm glad God steps into our lives. And there are roadblocks all along the way. God takes nobodies and he makes somebodies out of us. Fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Where do you live? Living with the saints and with the household of God. Has there been that time when God stepped into your life and literally made that difference in your life? I hope so. I hope you know the Lord. And let me say this. God's no respecter of persons. And he has, through Christ, removed, and we read the passages, removed all the barriers. He's removed all the barriers of sin. He's removed all the barriers of prejudices. He's removed all the, bread, uh, the barriers uh, of, of our own enmity against him. And he's opened up a new and living way. We've been dealing with that and thinking about that in Mark's gospel on Sunday morning. And we can all come by faith, both Jew and Gentile alike, to enter into that household of God. And we go to the book of Acts and we see how this plan was God's plan all along. If you go with me to the book of Acts in chapter number 10, verses 9 through 15. Amazing story. I love this story in the book of Acts. And Acts is a transitional book. It's a history book. We see the persecution that broke out in Jerusalem and God allowed that persecution to send these disciples and those believers all over uh, the known world at that time so that people would come to know Jesus. But yet there were some, there were some having a hard time with this. And 
Peter being one of those in Acts chapter 10, verses 9. And on the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh into the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth. Wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts on the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, Not so, Lord. (laughs) You can't put that in the same sentence. Not so, Lord. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. I got some standards here. I've never done this. I've never done it that way before. We've never done it that way before. I've never eaten anything like this. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. But this was done, that the vessel... But this was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. And while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius, that Gentile, had made inquiry of Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they came to Simon, and they said, Simon, there's a man over here, a Gentile. He, he's, he, he's got a heart to know about God. And we've come to find you. And he says, come back to us come tell us and we go to verse number 28 and he said to them you know that how it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation but God hath showed me that I should not call any common or unclean therefore I came unto you without gainsaying as soon as I was sent for I asked therefore for what intent ye have asked, sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in a bright clothing. And said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard. And thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. So send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. And he lodged in the house of one Simon, a tanner by the seaside, who when uh, when he cometh shall speak unto thee. And immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast done well that thou art come. Now therefore we are all... Here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. And Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. The Bible says that he preached the gospel to them. They were saved. All of his household were saved. This, my dear friend, is grace. And Paul calls it grace. If we go back to the book of Ephesians, 12 times does Paul use the word grace. It won't take time to read all the verses, but they are quite fascinating. Just the verses where you find the word grace. And he says, you didn't earn it. As Gentiles or as Jew either, you didn't earn it. You, you don't deserve it. You don't have to work for it. And you'd never have had it if God hadn't come in and given it to us. We go back to verse 8 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. None of us will ever stand before God and demand 
or even deserve that we get into God's heaven because something that we have done, we hadn't done anything. If we got what we deserve, none of us would be here tonight. God's good. God is so good. His grace, He enabled us. And yet people around the world, we see people out in the streets, we see people on bicycles, we see people all around us that are trying to work their way to heaven. Trying to do a good work to overcome their wrong, their sin, but that cannot be done. To get to God's heaven, you have to have God's righteousness. And we all fall short of that. And the only way to get that righteousness is have it imputed unto us through Jesus Christ, our son, His Son. What exactly is grace? Well, we've heard many things about grace. And, and I don't know that we could ever f- define grace if sufficiently enough. But let's see what Paul says. There are many definitions. Let's take what Paul says. If we look back at verse number 7 and consider what grace is. Ephesians 2 and verse number 7. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Look, in his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. How could we define grace? I think we could define it biblically by simply saying it's God's kindness toward us. God's kindness toward us. Where would any of us be this morning without God's kindness? Psalm 36 and 7, how excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. Psalm 63 and 3, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Isaiah 31 and 3, the Lord hath... uh, uh, appeared of old unto me yea I have loved thee with an everlasting love therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee for not for the kindness of God this evening we would all be in hell tonight we'd all be in hell right now but the Bible tells us that God has not punished us according to our sins notice with me very quickly some of this this kindness of God in Titus 3 and verses 4 and 5. But after that, the kindness and the love of God, our Savior toward men, appeared not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy hath He saved us. I want us to see this kindness here tonight out of these passages and understand that His kindness is exceeding in its abundance. Exceeding in its abundance. God is kind to us all the time. In everything that takes place. God is kind to us. Exceeding in its abundance. In verse number 7. In the ages to come. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace. The word exceeding is a word that describes that which goes beyond. That which extends past. When it comes to God. He always goes beyond. He always goes a little further. He extends past any and all things that are, uh, that are in our lives. Conceivable to us. God goes past that. And he gives us that grace, that kindness. And here the words he used to describe the kindness of God. Romans 5 and 20, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. We see the the kindness in his exceeding, in its abundance. We see his kindness exceeds beyond our dead condition. Verse number 1, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. God gives new life. His kindness exceeds past our deadness. 
spiritually dead. His kindness exceeds beyond our disobedience. Verse number 2, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil. And the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's the devil that's working in the children of disobedience. But God's kindness exceeds beyond our disobedience and sin. God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, he saved us to, made us to make us free from that sin. His kindness exceeds beyond our fleshly desires for sin. Verse number 3. Among also ye had, uh, we all had, we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, or by nature of the children of wrath, even as others. His kindness exceeds beyond our fleshly desires for sin. His kindness exceeds beyond our doomed condition because of sin. Children of wrath, for by grace are you saved. That's a wonderful Bible word. Saved by faith. His greatness, his kindness it exceeds in its everlasting duration. Verse number 7. That in the ages to come he might show the riches. The exceeding riches of his grace. The ages to come. That means that God's goodness and God's kindness is not going to be today and be gone tomorrow. For the child of God it goes on and on and on and on. His kindness is everlasting in duration. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. That's the goodness, the kindness of God, His grace. God's grace, God's kindness is not bound by time. It goes beyond time. God's kindness is never lost. It only gets better. It only gets better. The closer you get to the Lord, you see all that the Lord is doing. When we get away from God, when we get, a, 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 get backslidden on the Lord, then we start questioning God. We start questioning who God is and how good He is to us. But when we draw nigh unto the Lord, we begin to see how really good He is to us. It goes beyond time. When you get saved, God's grace and kindness toward you has just begun. When we've been there 10,000 years, it's just begun. His kindness and His grace. His kindness, I want you to understand, He's talking to Gentiles here. Now, He's talking to sinners. Really, it boils down to sinners. His kindness is extended toward us. God would have it that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. His kindness is extended. You know what God's waiting on right now? People to get saved. He's waiting for people to get saved. He's waiting for people to surrender, to go give the gospel. He's waiting for people to hear. He's waiting for people to accept. He's long-suffering. I'm glad he's long-suffering. I'm glad he gives first chances, second chances, third chances. It's extended toward us. Verse number 7, it says, toward us. Verse number 8, it's a gift of God. Have you received God's grace tonight? Thank the Lord for its grace. If you haven't received it tonight, right now it's extended toward us. It's extended toward you by the way of salvation. His kindness is being extended. As a child of God, God's kindness is extended toward us. 
So let's be careful that we live in light of that truth. Let's not be murmurers and complainers. God just decides to leave off one day of kindness. Where are we? God, God didn't do that. It extends beyond. Let's thank God tonight for his kindness toward us. And the best way I believe we can thank God for his kindness is to live for him. Simply surrender our lives and say, Lord, here am I. Send me, do anything you want in my life, Lord. I'm totally yours. Say thank you. That's a wonderful way. And out of that comes this next step. I think they're opposite sides of the same coin when we surrender. The best way we thank God is to surrender. The best way we can thank God is to tell somebody else about him. Take those gospel tracts. Be a part of faith, promise, giving. Be a part of going. Be a part of praying for our missionaries. Being part of what God's doing in His kindness all over the world. I'm glad that it came to me, aren't you? I'm glad that it came to you, aren't you? Praise the Lord for His grace and His kindness. He's so good. Let's thank Him tonight.